Good morning, and thank you so much for attending this morning. As you may have noticed, I am not there in person. Um, unfortunately, I tested positive for COVID uh, after having some pretty rough symptoms uh, earlier this week. And so, uh, you know, I am just choosing to quarantine myself for uh, five days here. Um, definitely don't want anyone else feeling this way or uh, getting a hold of this. Um, I'm sure that I'm going to heal up from it. I'm confident of it, but I do appreciate all of your uh, prayers and support and everything through that. And if I am sending this message from beyond the grave, oh, well, I beat you and we'll uh, catch up with you here soon. Um, but I'm confident that's not, <coughs> I guess I really can't joke. Uh, this <coughs> Maybe I shouldn't joke about that. Anyways. <laughs> Thankfully, with technology, um, I'm able to still bring the word that, that I really felt like the Lord uh, had for us for this Sunday, and uh, we're just blessed to have leaders that were willing to step in, uh, but also technology that will enable me to step in um, from a, a very safe distance. So, with all that being said and done, I'm going to um, shrink myself down here and uh, move myself out of the way having a little bit of fun here right we and uh, da, 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 da. we're gonna dive right into the message and so uh last week stan reminded us of god's covenant to which he is always faithful to uphold god always does his part he is faithful and true and when he makes a promise he keeps it as a reminder that we've had over and over and over again this year throughout this season of life. Um, however, we're not always as trustworthy to uphold our part of the covenant. Often we choose to go our own way, to do what we think best, and we call that sin. When we go our own way, instead of God's way, when we choose to trust in our own opinions and our own understanding instead of leaning fully into the Lord's. Stan also reminded us of the truth that our individual sin, no matter how great or small, no matter how insignificant it may seem to us, we know that sin, all sin, is so significant to God. I mean, he gave his only son to pay the penalty for it. But that our individual sin doesn't just affect us. It always affects all those around us. Spiritually, it affects our, our church body. It affects our family, our friends, our co-workers, everyone we are connected with. Our sin also affects them. When one part suffers, the whole part suffers. And of course, we, we know the scripture from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26 as I move myself away here, fun, as uh, Paul reminds us that if one part suffers, every part suffers. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And so that is the really cool flip side of this just reality that not only does our individual sin affect everyone that we are connected with, but also our choices to be obedient to the Lord and receive his blessing also bless those around us. In fact, um, when we read this scripture in Exodus 20, uh, we're reminded that the, the sin of one person, the father, 
can descend to the third and fourth generation. But the blessing of God goes down the generations to a thousand generations. And so the Lord is, again, gracious and compassionate. Um, You know, our sin doesn't only affect us. It can affect, as we've seen firsthand with uh, issues like alcoholism and substance abuse, it can affect our children and our children's children in a negative way. But when we choose to break that cycle, to break off those generational curses, we can be a blessing to a thousand generations beyond us. And so that's the awesome um, flip side to that reality is that we have the choice not only to be blessed in our own lives or whether to go our own way and suffer the consequences of sin, but we can also impact others the same. And so we're going to actually continue right where Stan left off last week in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to take a look this morning at uh, verses um, 6 through 8. 6 through 8. And so Paul wrote, and he said, Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be unleavened so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. And so you see, this is much of what our new life in Christ is, getting rid of the old and embracing the new. Stop living the way that we used to live and allowing the Spirit to live through us, to keep in step with the Spirit, the unleavened bread, becoming that new unleavened batch, being the person who Jesus declares that we truly are. That's most of what this Christian life is. Then Paul continues on. He says, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. A sacrifice we know is made once and for all, covering all of our sins, past, present, and future. And he goes on in verse 8, and he says, therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but instead with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And and Paul goes on and reiterates this uh, reality and later on in his letter in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 15 or chapter 15 verses um, 33 through 34. Um, Paul says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought to and stop sinning. For there are some of you who are ignorant of God, and I say this to your shame. And so um, ignoring that bad apple that's in the middle right now, if we move him out of the way. (laughs) (coughs) (coughs) Can't really got to stop coughing here. (laughs) We know how this works in the natural world. You can have a batch of 50 good apples, a whole barrel of good apples, but you throw in that one apple that's rotten, and what happens? Do the 49 make the one good apple well? Do they heal it? Or does that decaying process spread to the other 49? And of course, we know that's how it works in the natural world. And God has given us the natural world to to mirror and to reflect the spiritual realities And so we've got to keep this in mind. Got to keep this in mind. 
this, if you don't take anything else away from the message today, if you realize Steve ain't here in person, so let's mail. <laughs> Leave with this message because this is great, simple, straightforward, and literally life-saving and transforming advice. Do not be misled. Nope. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses. And plainly put, if this is the only thing you remember, stop sinning. <laughs> Just stop it. Just cut it out. It's not good for you. It's not good for those around you. It leads to corruption. It leads to death. And it really steals away everything that God has planned and purposed for you. You're created for so much more. And so we just need to get away from that. Um, so at this point, let's dive a little deeper into this reality because Paul made some really simple comments that we kind of lose because we don't live in a Jewish culture. And so we're going to go a little bit into what Paul was referring to with this whole idea of, of um, festivals and batches of dough and yeast and leavening and unleavened and, and all of this stuff. And for that, we're going to actually recall communion, which we did celebrate last week. And we're going to actually go a little further back to the message before stands that I had last given back to the Exodus, that first communion that we call Passover. And in fact, then we're going to fast forward to the last Passover meal, um, which was our first communion. And it's really cool how God does that all the time, always speaking the same message um, fluently and, um, you know, just spanning generations. And in our case, just spanning a few weeks here. Um, we're going to actually go right back to when God was delivering his people found in the book of Exodus um, after 430 years of slavery. You know, we've talked about waiting on God, but I am 100% certain that none of us have waited 430 years for God's deliverance. Yet he made a covenant, he made a promise, and it was about to come to pass. So we're going um, back to that Passover meal when it first was um, realized. We see that on the that very night, that very night, of the first Passover, the Lord himself went through Egypt at midnight and killed every firstborn son. And about you, but I, I grew up watching the Ten Commandments, and I believe in that movie, it was the angel of death who did it. Uh, but scripturally speaking, it says that the Lord himself carried out this, um, this, um, plague, <laughs> this plague, the very last plague on the nation of Egypt. So the Lord went through that area and took the life of every firstborn son. Um, humans, as well as livestock, none were spared. In fact, there's only one way to be spared from this um, certain death. It said if anyone placed the blood of a one-year-old lamb that was sacrificed, if they placed the blood of that lamb on the door frames of their home, that perfect spotless lamb, God would pass over that house and spare them. That's where the term comes from. God literally passed over their house if the blood of the lamb was on the door frames. 
They were to sacrifice that lamb at twilight, just before midnight, and roast it for their meal. In fact, they are to waste no time in this at all. They weren't even to gut the animal, if you're familiar with butchering. They were to roast it whole, with the innards and everything intact. They were to, to eat it standing up with their sandals on, their belts fastened. And they were to eat it along with bitter herbs and with unleavened bread. Because if any of y'all grew up making homemade bread, or maybe you practice that now, you know that to uh, make a real good bread takes time for that yeast to raise the bread, to leaven it before you cook it to make the good stuff. But in this case, they were to waste no time at all. Just, just you know, flour, water, salt, sugar, whatever the ingredients were, and bake it immediately. All of this is to be done very quickly because that very night... After 430 long, painful years, it was moving night. It was the night of deliverance. It was a night of celebration. What they'd been looking forward to is about to come. It was kind of like our Christmas Eve, you know, today. It was the same Passover feast, that very same Passover feast that Jesus was celebrating with his disciples on that night that he was betrayed, where we get our first communion dinner from. Jesus was the lamb, the blood that was put on the doorframe for death to pass over and for freedom and life to begin was Jesus's very own blood poured out on the cross. He became the sacrifice so that we might be passed over by death and fully live, not bound anymore by the shackles of sin. We now are empowered to choose and to choose life. God said here in Exodus chapter 12, and I'm going to be skipping around here a little bit just for, um, for time's sake. Um, in Exodus chapter 12, and I'm going to be starting in verse 14. It says, this is a day that you are to commemorate. And this is the Lord speaking to his people. This is a day that you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. A festival, a joyous occasion, a festive occasion. He says to be a lasting ordinance for seven days. You are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove all the yeast from your houses. Whoever eats anything with any yeast in it from the first day to the seventh, they got to be cut off from Israel. This is serious. I'm going to find out a little later why. Actually, I'm just going to share it now because I can't wait. Yeast symbolizes sin, always in the Bible. And so you're to remove that or you will be cut off altogether. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly and another on the seventh. The first and seventh day were to be sacred assemblies dedicated to the Lord. Do no work at all on these days, except for to prepare food for everyone to eat. That's that's all you may do. That's all the work they're allowed to do on those two days. Celebrate the festival unleavened bread, because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. In that first month, you are to eat bread made without yeast. From the evening of the 14th day, until the evening of the 21st day. For seven days, no yeast is to be found in any food or in any of your houses. And if anyone, whether foreigner or native born, who eats anything with yeast in it, they must be cut off from the community of God's people. 
Eat nothing made with yeast. Wherever you live, you must eat unleavened bread. This idea of being cut off from God's people because of their choice to not do what God is calling them to do is continued throughout the New Testament as well, as we're going to see. This is what Paul was referring to. I'm sorry. In this scripture. And then we find here in verse 31, back in Exodus. um, Sorry. In verse 31, it says, During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Get up, leave my people, go and worship the Lord as you have requested. That's all God wanted. God just wanted his people to be able to worship him apart from the people of Egypt. The Pharaoh said, go and worship as you've requested. Take your flocks, take your herds, and go. And also, please bless me. This was a man who was broken, shattered. He had also lost his son. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry up and get out of the country. They said, otherwise, we may all die. So the people took their dough before the yeast was added, and carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs wrapped in clothing. With the dough the Israelites had brought from Egypt, they baked loaves of unleavened bread. The dough was without yeast because it had been driven, because they had been driven out of Egypt, and they had no time even to prepare food for themselves. Now, if you're like me, you have understood the symbolism um, before between the Passover and communion. You know, the the Lord is pretty clear about that. Um, He was celebrating Passover on that night that he was betrayed, and that's what he passed on to us as communion. Um, And I've recognized this symbolic representation of Jesus at the Passover and how it was ultimately fulfilled through Christ. However, it was not only the lamb that was a prophetic symbol to Christ. It wasn't just the lamb that was sacrificed and its blood poured out on the doorpost. The bread was such an important symbol as well. Very important symbol. Um, Imagine you have to pack up and move all of your things tonight, overnight, and you only have a few hours to pack and to prepare your entire household, your whole family, all of your belongings, all of your livestock, And you've got to move out to where you're not really sure. (laughs) You're not sure. You're just, you're just moving out. Um, Imagine all the logistical nightmares that you would experience moving, not only your household items, but also this brand new Egyptian plunder. I mean, you're going to take everything that you can possibly hold, right? It'd be a time of rejoicing as you plunder those who had bonded you into slavery. And, um, you know, keeping your livestock and family together in the middle of the night during a midnight fleet out of Egypt and into an unknown territory. You are traveling, not alone with your family, but uh, among hundreds of thousands of others on foot and by cart. 600,000 men, not counting women, children, and livestock, were leaving Egypt that night. 600,000 just men alone can only imagine what that would be like. So when you're reading about this night, why was it that God chose to record so many verses about the Exodus 
about their dough. I mean, seriously, why do you go into such detail about the bread dough? That, I'm sure, would be the last thing that you would be concerned about for your family, especially unleavened bread. Unleavened bread. If any of you all have done like the, I forget what it's called, but you know, uh, like the friendship bread kind of thing where you, you, you get this zippy bag of dough and you take part of it and you bake it for yourself and you pass along, you know, the, the little pit to, um, to continue on. What's that? Food swap. Food swap. All right. Or whatever you call it. <laughs> what you're actually passing along to your friend or loved one is yeast. A bag full of fungus. <laughs> That's why it can continue. This was unleavened bread. Nothing would continue in it. It just it just seemed absurd to me, and it just caught my attention of why God went into such logistical specifics with how they were to manage their bread dough and not how they're to manage their family, their household. How are they to stay together and to keep their livestock together? Those would be my concerns as a father moving his family. You know, how do I not lose track of my kids? And how do I make sure that we get everything that we actually need and uh, don't carry so much that we can't bear the weight of it to actually make this trip? I mean, you, you need to grab sort of the very essentials, but you don't want to miss out on the plunder of Egypt. It would be a conundrum, a, a nightmare. And instead of God going over the details of how to do all of that, he focuses on the bread dough. <laughs> and um, of course, it, it really caught my attention, not only because he repeated and went into such detail, but he recorded what happened when they were hurried up. Remember, the people were hurried they did not plan their way up out of Egypt. And so they placed their unleavened dough, the Bible records, the woman placed it in a wooden trough wrapped in clothes, wrapped in literally their clothes, <laughs> and they carried it on their shoulders. Similar picture, right? We skip ahead in time to Luke chapter two, the Christmas story, right? Um, and... <laughs> Here we see uh, this, this picture. Of course, we all know this translation. I'm reading from the Passion Translation. Uh, just for fun and to spice things up a little bit here. It says, During those days, the Roman Emperor Caesar Augustus ordered that the first census be taken place throughout his empire. Cornelius was the governor of Syria at the time. So everyone had to travel to the hometown of their own family to complete this mandatory census. So Joseph and his wife Mary left Nazareth, a village in Galilee, and journeyed to their hometown in Judea, to the village of Bethlehem, King David's ancient home. They were required to register there because they were both, both Mary and Joseph, direct descendants of King David himself. Mary was pregnant and nearly ready to give birth. When they arrived in Bethlehem, Mary went into labor. And there she gave birth to her firstborn son. Her firstborn son. See the symbolism here? She wrapped the newborn baby in cloth. And Mary and Joseph laid him in a feeding trough, since there was no available space in any upper room in the village. You see, Mary and Joseph, you kind of see this symbolism here um, between the two right? Um, Mary and Joseph were hurried. They did not plan ahead on their way up to Bethlehem. And so they placed 
firstborn son, their firstborn son, baby Jesus, in a manger, which is a feeding trough for animals, wrapped in cloth, just like the first Passover meal. Now, this may be like, duh, how did you never see that before? You may already realize that. It was a brand new revelation to me, and it may be to you as well. Um, but either way, it's a revelation for us to share together this morning. You see, Jesus confirmed this prophetic representation of this as he declared, I am the bread of life. Jesus made this, this um, proclamation um, about himself in the New Testament. So the question for us this morning is, you know, Jesus is the bread of life, but do we really crave him? Do we hunger for him the way that we hunger for so many other things? Do we hunger for the blessings of God or do we hunger for the blesser? Do we hunger for the gifts of God or do we hunger for the giver of those gifts? Do we hunger for the miracles or do we hunger for the miracle worker? Do we hunger? Let's be honest. What do we crave more, sin or holiness? And in fact, we see Jesus went into this very revelation here as um, he had just finished feeding the 5,000. And what did he feed them with? Bread, <laughs> loaves of bread. Um, he just finished feeding them and he went across the lake and his disciples did as well. And it says, once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples uh, were there, they got into their own boats, crossed the lake and went into uh, Capernaum. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You are here looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And so you see this reality. He was like, you, you're not looking for me. You're looking for the benefits of me. And unfortunately, in the body of Christ, the two don't look very different. Now, it's not wrong to pray to God for what he can do, for his healing, his deliverance, his salvation. God is overjoyed to bless his children with good things from heaven, with all of the good things of heaven. In fact, we should be seeking after even greater things like wisdom and you know, revelation. Um, but ultimately, our hunger and our desire should be for God himself. God himself, Jesus himself, the bread of life. That should be what consumes us so that even if the healing doesn't come, so that even if deliverance doesn't come, so that even if, even if, even if, now you know we are a church that stands on here and now, here on earth, even as it is in heaven, the goodness of God here in the land of the living, and we will never change that. But 
If we spend our lives chasing after the blessing, chasing after the miracle, chasing after the provision, we're still heading to hell and didn't realize what it was all about. Jesus cursed the towns that he did his greatest miracles in, even raising the dead to life. He cursed them. He says it's going to be better for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than it is for you. Because if they had seen these miracles, they would have repented. They would have turned away from their sin and they would have chased after me. Jesus knew it wasn't about the miracles. The miracles are just signs that make people wonder about him. It all directs to him. And that's what these people had missed. They were, they were just looking for some bread. <laughs> they just wanted their fill again of the good stuff. It's not wrong to hunger and thirst for the good stuff of heaven and the things of God. But ultimately, our desire needs to be for God alone. And sometimes that's what God is revealing through these waiting seasons. He wants us to get to know him better. Him better. Not his benefits more, but him personally. And so it says that they went on and, and asked him for a sign because he said, after all, whenever our ancestors were in the desert, the father gave us manna from heaven. Another form of bread, right? A miraculous sign. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, it is not from Moses that you receive this manna. It was from my father who gives you true bread from heaven for the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And all of a sudden they said, sir, give us this bread. Again, they're all about the bread, not the father. <laughs> they just keep asking for bread. They want bread. Jesus reminded them again. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never go thirsty. Why? Because we know that rivers of living water will spring up from within them. <laughs> oh, Jesus said, but as I've told you, you've seen me and you still don't get it. You still don't believe. He said that I've come down from heaven to not to do my will, but to do the will of him who has sent me. And this is the will of him who has sent me. That I shouldn't lose anyone that God has given to me, but rather raise them up on the last day. For it is my Father's will that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. And that will raise them up at the last day. Jesus is just trying to give them an eternal perspective. It has nothing to do about your stomachs here and now. It has everything to do with filling your life with the good things from heaven that truly satisfy and give life. As the Jews began to grumble about him, because they're like, this is Joseph, Joseph's son. This is Joseph's son. We know his father and mother. How can he now say that I came down from heaven? We know where that boy's from. Nothing good comes from out of uh, Beth not Bethlehem. Where did Jewish Jesus spend his life growing up? Go. Nazareth. Nothing good comes from Nazareth. <laughs> So anyways, we continue on. Jesus is the bread of life, but do we hunger for him? Do we crave him? Or do we grumble about him a little bit, right? I mean, let's be honest. Do we grumble and we want the things that this world has to offer? <laughs> now, what about Paul's warning about this yeast and leavened bread? Well, a little science lesson here. Yeast has been around for 
as long as history can go back. Yeast has been here on the planet. Um, Yeast has been used just as long as we can find in history for two primary purposes. It's been used, of course, to make leavened bread, that delicious, fluffy, whole-filled, you know, delicious um, bread, and also for making something else that you might enjoy pretty often, uh, alcoholic beverages. Those are the two main things that yeast are made, um, or yeast is used for. Yeast is a tiny little microscopic fungus and you're seeing lots of different versions of them here uh, when you shine a laser on them this is what they look like it's kind of cool they reflect that light um, yeast is this tiny little microscopic fungus and what it does is it consumes sugar and water and it um, scientifically it excretes <laughs> carbon dioxide and ethanol that's why bread raises it's literally carbon dioxide that is being formed and bubbling up in that bread. That's why you have all of those um, those holes in homemade bread. That's where um, lots of little cultures of that yeasty fungus uh, came together and produced carbon um, dioxide. It's a little asexual organism, which means that it literally just divides itself to create a new, new yeast cell. And when you look at two lumps of fresh dough, you can't tell which one is leavened and which one is unleavened, meaning it has yeast or doesn't have yeast. It takes time. But after time, you will see one begin to physically manifest and rise. Yeast multiplies and it travels throughout the whole dough and pretty quickly as well. All of those open cap cavities that we just love to eat are again the result of that like paul said just a little yeast works its way through a whole batch of dough now they didn't have microscopes back then um, but they saw the evidence of that rising ball of dough when you add yeast it works its way through the whole batch now let's flash back to last week when we heard about god punishing israel for the sin of one person it seems totally unfair completely, totally unfair that other people suffered at the hand of another person's sin that they knew nothing about. They knew absolutely nothing about. I still can't say that I agree with it, but God was showing the reality that there is no such thing as a hidden or personal sin. It affects everybody, just like yeast within the dough. In fact, we're going to um, kind of continue on here to another scripture in Matthew. This is in Matthew chapter 16, verse 5 through 12. This is after Jesus fed the 4,000. It says, when they went across the lake, similar story right here, but this is a totally different um, example, totally different um, miracle that took place after he fed 4,000. Jesus said, be careful. He was saying this to his disciples, be on guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now they discussed this amongst themselves and said, I got it. It's about the bread. It's about the bread. We didn't bring any. We didn't bring any and now we're going to be hungry. <laughs> so not only did the followers in Capernaum not get it, but also his own disciples, after seeing this miracle twice, still didn't get it. They still thought it was about the bread. <sighs> Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, You of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Did you 
seriously still not understand. Don't you remember the five loaves that fed 4,000? And how many basketfuls did you gather afterwards? Or about the seven loaves for the 4,000? And how many basketfuls you gathered after that? How is it that you still don't understand that I was never talking about bread? He literally says this. I was never talking about bread. But be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then the oh, light went off and they understood. It was about their teachings. It was not about bread. It was against the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Because you see, here's the reality. Sin does not start with behavior in the same way as a ball dough of or a ball of dough doesn't start out as leavened or un, well it doesn't start out leavened. <laughs> Sin doesn't start with behavior. Sin starts as a thought, as an idea, as a philosophy, as an attitude, as a teaching, something that is believed to be right. You know, it's a common saying that if enough people believe that a lie is true, it is embraced as truth. And we see this in our culture today on such a widespread scale. That's why you see um, colleges and elementary schools and high schools and uh, even preschools at this point in the news so often with ideas and thoughts and philosophies that are being taught and presented as truth. Because if you can get that little bit of yeast in a brand new batch of dough, then you've won over the whole batch. The whole batch will be leavened by that yeast. And that is why it's such an important fight to fight. And it's another message for another time, but to stop sin in our lives, let's personalize this. We have to start with our minds. We need to reprogram our minds with bread, with living bread, with the word of God. That's a real deuce of the Holy Spirit, right? Um, Deuteronomy chapter um, 6 verse 3 reminds us of this very thing, this bread of life. Um, you know, not only was um, bread uh, symbolic of Jesus with the Passover and communion with manna um, being the bread of life, but Jesus is also symbolic as being the living word of God. And that's exactly what it says back in Deuteronomy 8.3. Um, the word of God teaches that manna was miraculously provided for six days a week, bread from heaven. And it says that it was given this way for a purpose. Deuteronomy 8.3, it says that God humbled you, causing you to hunger. God causes a hunger within us. Then it says that he fed them with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Here we go again with bread, but it's not about bread. It's about Jesus. It's about the word of God. It's about the living word of God. He wants that unleavened bread to come alive within us and to get rid of the leavened bread, to get rid of yeast. During the Passover you know, festival, during seven days, they weren't allowed to have any yeast at all in their home. Or they'd be cut off from the whole assembly. Jesus is the living word of God. Yeast is what snuffs it out and kills it in our lives. Sinful stuff, sinful thoughts, sinful attitudes. They ultimately become behaviors. 
just like you can't tell between two baldos at first, which one's leavened or unleavened, has yeast or doesn't yeast. You can't tell at first look at a person's life, whether they have sin hidden in their life or not. But give it enough time and God always reveals truth. He loves us too much to allow hidden things to remain in our lives. He brings them to surface, not to shame us or to condemn us, but to set us free, to forgive us, to cover our sin and shame, and to create in us a new life of unleavened bread. Okay, so what happens whenever you let sin in, uh, continue in your life? Well, James tells us about this. It says when sin grows, it gives birth to death. Pretty simple. You know, and trust me, I love homemade bread. But the one thing I don't like about truly homemade bread is that unless you add some kind of preservative, it doesn't last very long, does it? What once made it delicious and flavorful and amazing, eventually you start realizing that yeast, it's a fungus. Because the next thing you know, that thing starts to mold and you see manifestations of that fungus in a different way that doesn't look so delicious or tasty, right? <laughs> you, you throw that thing out. You throw the whole batch of bread out if you're like most people. Um, some people, you know, grow up in more desperate times and they get rid of that uh, little piece of mold and say, here you go, it's good. <laughs> but we know what is in that entire batch of dough, right? Exactly. That's what James um, teaches us. And I'm not going to go through the whole scripture just for time's sake, but you can read all about it in James chapter one, starting in verse 13. Um, uh, so in fact, it, it, in, it, you know what? I'm going to have to read through it. Okay. So what it says is that when God is tempted, no one should say that God's tempting me. Okay. God never tempts. God, remember first Corinthians, I believe it's 13. No, that's the love chapter. 10. I believe it's 10. 1 Corinthians 10. 2 Corinthians 10. Thank you. God always faithfully makes a way out of temptation. God doesn't tempt us. God makes a way out of temptation. So what? how do we get tempted? What is it with... Yeah, we'll find it eventually. When those, Okay. God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own, their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives full birth to sin and sin when it is full grown gives birth to death. Just the way the yeast slowly works its way through the batch. I say slowly, quickly. It depends on your concept of time, um, but it, it gives birth to death. In fact, James goes on in verse 16 and says, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived, brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a first of first fruits of all he created, giving birth to us, unleavened bread, without yeast, without sin. So, of course, we know there's two times when you need to be cautious of letting sin into your life letting that yeasty leavening come into your life. The first is when you're trying to reach the lost, right? While you're trying to reach people in their sin, be careful that you don't get drawn into it too and start to take on their ideas and behaviors and attitudes. Um, you know, you got to be careful with that. It is 1 Corinthians 10. That's where you'll find the scripture where God is faithful and always makes way out of temptation. Um, that's an easy warning, you know, but 
Paul in 1 Corinthians 5 is not talking about um, the unsaved. In fact, neither is Jesus. Jesus is not talking about the worldly people of the flesh. Jesus and Paul is warning against those who are in the body of Christ, in the religious crowd, teach the word of God, but they handle it incorrectly. False teaching. So let's finish the chapter where we began with. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 through 13. Paul writes, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral, or the greedy, or swindlers, or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave this world. <laughs> so obviously Paul is not talking um, you know, in this context, in this chapter, 1 Corinthians 5, um, you know, about those in the world, those who are um, caught in sin, those who, um, you know, are, are, are not Christians yet. They, they're still lost, needing found. Uh, we're still to reach out to them. Um, Paul was specifically writing about those who claim to be believers, those who claim to be our brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, he says that in verse 11, but now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy or idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler. Do not even eat with such people. And, um, you know, here you see this, this list similar to uh, what you see so often in the scriptures. Um, for whatever reason, we, we focus so much on just sexual immorality um, but that is not the only item, you know, in the list of those who will not inherit the kingdom of God. And in First uh, Corinthians 5 here, Paul calls out some of these, um, you know, common sin issues in the world that um, if we don't let go of, they will destroy us. They are like a yeast. And the, of course, he does call it sexual morality. It is an issue uh, that we need to overcome. But he also calls out greed. Um, uh, swindlers and idolaters. In fact, Paul goes on in verse 12 and he says, what business is it of mine to judge those who are outside of the church? That's often what you find the church doing, unfortunately. Um, you know, is judging those who are outside of the church. Those are the world who um, really don't have the power um, and the, the, the wisdom and the guidance and the grace and the mercy and all these things that we have of God that enables us to make better choices and to rise up above those things. Paul says it's not our business to judge those outside the church, but he said, are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside, but expel the wicked person from among you. Now, expelling people who refuse to repent of their sin may seem like harsh and a very unfair practice within the body of Christ. However, it is done with hope that such a drastic measure would help those who are caught in sin's deceit. As sin is, it is very deceitful. It will give us every reason to justify our actions and not to change from them. It is deceitful. So the hope is that people would escape the trap of sin's deceit, come to their senses, and get rid of that yeasty sin in their lives, that they would come to repent and, and be able to live and to live fully and abundantly. And the reality is, if sin is allowed to continue, unrepentant sin, and we're not talking about sin issues that people um, acknowledge 
arson and who are, you know, trying and, um, you know, desiring to get free from those issues. We're talking about unrepentant sin, either clear sin that we find biblically that people just disagree with the scripture on, um, you know, or, or those that they know it's wrong, but they just want to keep doing it because why not? <laughs> unrepentant sin, when you refuse to see that sin the way that God does. If it is allowed to continue, then it spreads like a cancer through the body of Christ, and, and it ends up killing the whole body eventually. When one part suffers, the whole part suffers. Um, because what happens is in our fleshliness, you know, we say, well, if that's okay for them, then this is okay for me. And then we start justifying and comparing from a worldly perspective and justifying our sin instead of comparing ourselves to God's standard for which we were created, comparing ourselves to the person that he created us to be and, uh, you know, doing our best and making every effort by the empowerment and grace of the Holy Spirit to uh, reach that full potential. Um, this is just the unfortunate nature of sin. And that's why yeast is used as a symbol of it um, all throughout the Bible. Um, that is why both Old and New Testament, um, God calls us to, um, to, to cast those outside of the community uh, who have any yeast in their lives because yeast spreads through the whole batch. That's just what it does. And that's exactly what sin does. It spreads. It spreads. It is a very slippery, sneaky slope. So don't let anyone anyone contaminate you and lead you away from Christ while you are passionately pursuing him. And uh, kind of finishing up here with this last scripture, Galatians chapter five, verse uh, seven through 10. And ah, getting, getting run over here. Get out of the way, get out of the way. <laughs> Galatians chapter five. And I'm going to read the entirety of verses um, seven through 10. Paul says, you are running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion doesn't come from the one who called you. And again, he quotes here, a little yeast works through the whole dough of bread or the whole batch of dough. Rather, a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Paul said, I am confident in the Lord that you should take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever they may be they will have to pay the penalty. And so this morning, let's turn our, our focus back to Christ, back to the bread of life, and ask him through the Holy Spirit to search our lives and to reveal to us any areas that have allowed this, this fungus, this, this yeast um, into our lives, causing us to look a little more like this when we are called to look a little more like this, <laughs> unleavened bread, the bread of life, less like me and more like Christ, so that the world might see Christ in us and through us and might also trust in him for their salvation. And of course, all of us still, while we live in this flesh, have some issue that we're dealing with when it comes to sin. In fact, the Bible says that those who claim to be without sin are liars. And so that 
indeed means that you're struggling with the sin and that is lying and deceit. Um, and it's time to come to our senses. So ask the Holy Spirit to search you and to test you and to reveal to you those areas that still have some yeast in them, some of that old fleshy self that still needs crucified. And as he reveals this thing, I encourage you to simply confess it to Jesus. Ask him to forgive you of your sin and to restore you to his righteousness. And I believe it's John chapter 3, verse 3, if I remember correctly. And that may be an incorrect quote, but the, the scriptures encourage us to confess our sins to the Lord because he is faithful and just. And as we confess our sins to him, he forgives us of all of our sin and purifies us, purifies us of all unrighteousness. He makes us like that unleavened bread once again. And I also encourage you to take the next step of wisdom as, as you've been forgiven for that sin and righteousness has been restored through Christ, and that is the only way righteousness can ever be restored, use the Spirit's wisdom to put measures in place to keep you away from temptation into that sin again, if it's at all possible, because we are also called to confess our sins not only to Christ, but also to one another so that we might be healed. Because there is healing in confession and in accountability. There is freedom when our lives are honest and open and transparent with our brothers and sisters in Christ, with our family in Christ. Then we can encourage one another and support one another. We can go to Jesus together, ask his forgiveness together, ask his wisdom together, and uh, ask him to show us that way that he has faithfully made out and to uh, have the strength to walk through that way together. Often when we're tempted, we believe that we have already sinned. But the reality is Jesus was tempted in every way that we are, and yet was without sin. How is that possible? It's because when Jesus was tempted, he went to his Father for that satisfaction. I believe it's Psalm 102 that, that promises us that, that God will satisfy our desires with good things. And so when we're tempted in the flesh, the answer is always to go to him. He will provide that way out and he will bring satisfaction in some way to that desire that will lead to life and life abundant so that we don't need to pursue sin in order to satisfy that desire that will just still kill and destroy from us. And so today, instead of our typical um, ending where I closed in like a canned prayer, um, I'm actually going to encourage you to just seek after the Lord. Seek after the Lord however he leads. He has created you uniquely and divinely. And so the important thing is, is that you chase after him, go to him, and as he has promised, you will be found. He will be found by you. You will be found by him. You'll find each other. You'll draw close to each other. You'll get to know him and yourself much better. And so thank you so much for joining us today, and may God richly bless you.